Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. It's so interesting. Uh, last week, as many of you will recall, was such an intense message. And, uh, and I, I came out of it and off the beam, and I said, man, dear, I really hope that uh, next week is, is just light and just I can laugh a lot. And I, I don't think it's as... Uh, thankfully, I think it's, <laughs> it's somewhere in between. <laughs> because honestly, we're, we're just in a, in a day right now. This is a season where uh, it's just not business as usual, to be honest. It's just not. Y'all, I, I think that you all know we've been seeing some horrific things in the world today. Anti-Semitism, it's rearing its ugly head like I've not seen in my lifetime. And that includes right here in North Georgia. We have people watching from all over the world. Uh, we have people watching from all over the world. But right here in North Georgia, you would think that uh, with, with people, so many people who love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we would be immune, but we are not at all, from, uh, from the horrific things that were shined onto the uh, interstate overpass nearby to vandalism at, a, at, at a, one of our state universities in Atlanta, uh, to the, in a Jewish fraternity there, to um, to, uh, of course, I saw a report, somebody sent me a report in Hall County, which is like in the Gainesville area. There was a church there that had a, that put up a sign in front that just said, I stand with Israel. And it was, it was vandalized, uh, with, the. Uh, and, uh, and then I got uh, an email from the president of Emory University, one of my schools, just, uh, uh, severely, um, coming against a lot of the anti-Semitism that was raised on a rally that was on that campus um, uh, a week and a half or so ago. Uh, this this is Atlanta, y'all. We're talking about North Georgia here, and that's just a, that's just a small thumbnail of of the of the anti-Semitism that's reared its ugly head even here. Uh, many 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 other things uh, actually from swastikas. Uh, all across the United States and across the world, from swastikas to anti-Jewish vandalism to protests and propaganda, propaganda, man, so much propaganda. Wow, it's it's really disheartening to see. It's uh, in Russia last week. We 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 came this close to seeing another pogrom, this close to another pogrom in Russia this past week. Really, really close. 
But you know, here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, is this is a fight that we've been in for many years in various forms. And truly, listen to me carefully here. This is really important. Truly, at its most basic level, we have to understand the core of an anti-Semitic spirit. An anti-Semitic spirit is an anti-God spirit. So then, to fight anti-Semitism requires tools that are actually some of the same tools that we need to fight our own battles against the adversary. So what I am positing for you today is that there are parallels between this, this physical fight, this, this uh, fight that's in the airwaves, this, this fight against anti-Semitism that we all are, are, are fighting here today, uh, and also really a fight against evil, even against evil that tries to afflict our own lives and evil that, that, that when the adversary tries to attack us. The part of the ways of fighting against these things actually have a similar root. Let's take a look at Ephesians, please, chapter 6, Ephesians 6. And I'm not going to go into the, the whole thing, but I really just want to focus on the beginning part of this passage, the, the kind of the almost the, some refer to it as a, the preamble, but I think it's uh, very important, essential even. Okay, this is Ephesians chapter 6, and in general, uh, if, if you were to keep reading this section, it talks about the armor of God. But I want to focus really on the beginning part of it. It says this, starting in verse 10, Ephesians 6 verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places." Wow, that's deep. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist when the times are evil. And after you have done everything, to stand firm. Okay. Beloved, <laughs> although this new wave of anti-Semitism is difficult, no question. Our strategies as to how we combat this, this new wave of anti-Semitism, our strategies parallel those that we use to fight our own battles against the adversary in our own personal lives. There are some real parallels here, and so there are applications to all of our lives. It's very interesting. You know, most of you know that uh, Ephesians 6 goes on to talk about the armor of God, but 
if we put on the full armor of God, because this section I just read was kind of the preamble, if we put on the full armor of God, what does Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 13 say that we will able to do? We will able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that's the goal. When you put on the different parts of the armor of God, what is the goal of it? The goal of putting on all these pieces of armor, the spiritual armor that we wear, the goal of all this stuff is so that we can stand against the schemes of the enemy. The goal of the armor is to stand against the adversary. Allow me to focus on the important part of this principle. The goal of it is to stand firm. That's the goal. Stand firm. Daniel chapter 6, please. Daniel 6. And I'd position, y'all, for all of us in this difficult season where the world is coming against us, but also in our own personal lives, there is a distinct parallel as to what we need to be doing, as to the resolution that we should have within ourselves when it comes to fighting off these attacks, be it the attacks of the adversary with anti-Semitism or be it the attacks of the adversary in your personal life. Because they're coming at you quickly, right? From different directions. And when you're weakened by one, he'll come at you from the other angle. This is what the Israeli soldiers are ch being challenged with right now in Gaza, are the tunnels, right? And they're walking and they're, and they're moving past and suddenly, boop, something pops out behind them in one of the tunnels. This is what we gotta watch out for as ma'amanim, as believers, as followers of God. And what do we have to do? It's the same thing that we have to do against anti-Semitism as we do in our personal lives to fight against the attack of the adversary on us personally, we have to stand firm. We have to stand firm. You see, it reminds me of, uh, <laughs> it reminds me of one of those Marvel movies. I don't remember which one it, it was, but it's a, it's a Marvel movie where, you know, you have somebody who's just like, are you, it's almost any of these science fiction movies, honestly, has, has these things, right? You, you, you could look at uh, Yoda versus the Emperor. You can look at almost, and, and what do they do? They, they, they you know, they're, they're trying to fight against the, the adversary and the onslaught that's coming at them. You know, that's, that's science fiction. How much more so in reality? Because we fight not against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, spiritual forces that will try to come against us in different ways. We have to, there's got to be some resolve within us. There's got to be some strength within us. As it says in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, it says, be strong in the Lord. There has to be strength, even in the face of attack. Daniel chapter 6 the satraps were trying to find a reason to condemn Daniel, but Daniel was pure. And they were having great issues. Why? They were jealous of Daniel, this Jewish guy 
They were in the captivity. They weren't in Israel. Israel was truly the, the occupied territories back then. And, uh, and, and so what happens? Daniel was finding great favor with the king and, and the other officials in the kingdom and in the palace did not like that. And so they were trying to trick and trying to bring down Daniel, okay, the, the great Jewish prophet. And so they finally figured they'd get him. Why? Of course, it's a pretty familiar refrain because he was Jewish and he worshiped the one true God. Daniel chapter six, verse five from the Tanakh. It says, at this time, the supervisors and satraps tried to find a ground for charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they were unable to find fault or corruption because he was trustworthy and no negligence or dishonesty could be found in him. This was, this was a kosher dude. Wow. <laughs> Boy, something you don't see in politicians that all often, huh? <laughs> the guy had no skeleton in the closet. They were looking for it. They did their... Their internet research and couldn't find anything on this, this dude. Verse six, finally, these men said, we're not gonna find any basis for <clears throat> charges against this man, Daniel, unless we find something against him regarding the law of his God. Ooh. So <clears throat> what did they do? They went to the king. They got a decree from the king, King Darius, that anyone praying to anyone other than the king would be cast into the lion's den. Okay, so the law went out, and it was an irrevocable law uh, by the king. Anybody praying to, to, to any of their own gods, anybody praying other than to the king, essentially, is going to be thrown into the lion's den. Boom, the law goes out. What does Daniel do? See, this is the moment of decision for Daniel. You talk about persecution, well, Daniel would have said, yeah, I know what you're going through. We get to heaven, when you get to heaven in, in year 2,347,000, when you have your appointment with Daniel just to hang out and get to know him, <laughs> you know, we're going to have eternity. Eventually, we're going to meet all these people. I'm looking forward to meeting Daniel. <clears throat> and and you're recounting times and you say, man, there was a season I was in. He'll say, I know how you feel. How would Daniel react? Daniel 6, verse 11. Now, when Daniel learned that a written decree had been issued, he went into his house where the windows in his upper room opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he knelt down, prayed, and gave thanks before his God, just as he did before. Wow. Wow. Now, you know, of course, the rest of the story. They threw him in the lion's den. The lions didn't eat him. He came out the next day. The king was really happy that he was okay because the king liked Daniel, and he put in all those traps that tried to frame him, and the lions uh, did not hesitate. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, he stood firm. Daniel stood firm. That's the point. Daniel stood firm. He knew well that it might cost him. Did you see this? He knew well that it might cost him. Okay. He stood firm. He didn't care that it might cost him. 
this principle of standing firm applies in both of these areas against this anti-Semitism, but also in our personal lives. We've got to stand firm. We've got to stand strong against whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever it is that you're dealing with personally. We see this over and over and over and over again in scriptures. Godly people who stand firm against evil. In Daniel chapter 3, we read about the three Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, those guys, they took a stand and they were what? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Why? Verse 12 says they would not bow down and worship the false gods. Do you hear this, friends? They were thrown into the fiery furnace by the political leaders of the day. Why? And the society, because they would not bow down and worship false gods. Hear me, hear me, hear me. You too are being asked to bow down and worship the false gods. And it's just, just honestly so much easier just to comply. But we must be brave and stand firm. There are many different applications of this. First, regarding the the lies of the adversary and the lies of all too many in, in society today. There's pressure on us to conform to a secular worldview. Am I right? Yeah. There is immense pressure to conform to a secular worldview. It's so interesting to me. Here we are, and for sure, in a free country, people are indeed free to have whatever perspective they want. Okay, that's fine. But that does not obligate me to share in their perspective. And and when we do not agree and think monolithically like them, we are the ones accused of being intolerant. How ironic is that? Our views are not tolerated. The irony is dripping. But friends, we cannot simply lay down and conform. We have to stand firm. Period. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 5. And I'm going to tell you something. We see this all the time today. All the time. Isaiah 5, to me, Mr. Goldberg, feels like it was written for today. It feels like it was written for today. What do we read in Yeshayahu Isaiah, please, Bavakashah chapter 5, verse 20. I'm going to read from the complete Jewish Bible. (laughs) Wow, this is so true today. It says this, in Isaiah 5, verse 20, it says, 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who change darkness into light and light into darkness. Who change bitter into sweet and sweet into bitter. Woe to those seeing themselves as wise, esteeming themselves as clever. Oh my goodness, is that true today or what? See, this is why we need to stand firm. Stand firm. And you know what? I'll tell you, it's not always easy. Oftentimes it's hard. Oftentimes it's hard. At, uh, at Georgia Tech, I'm, my minor, one of my minors was in psychology. And I remember we studied a, a very famous experiment by a world-famous psychologist, Dr. Solomon Ash, uh, regarding conformity. Such an interesting study. You can go and look at this on the internet, on YouTube yourself. Such an interesting psychology study, an experiment. And in this experiment, what, how it was set up was this, uh, is that in parts of the experiment, they had six people set up behind a table in a line. Six people all lined up there, sitting down behind a table, and they were looking at the, at the, at the display that the proctor was showing them. And these six people were asked to verbally pick from choices which line had the same length of a second line. Okay, so, so what, what I'm talking about is this, is that they would, they would have the six people lined up there behind the table and they showed them a big poster and there was a line, okay, a simple line. And beside it were choices A, B, C, or A, B, C, D. Okay, there were a few choices over here. And they said, which line is the same length? And, and it was set up to be, this is a visual acuity test, but that really wasn't the test at all. That wasn't the experiment. But that's how it was set up. And they said, which line of these, A, B, C, or D, which of these lines is the same length as this other line? You, you, you following me on everything? Okay. okay, so which one is the same length? That's the question. That was the question. But in truth, five of the six participants in the experiment were actually working for the, the doctor, okay? <laughs> five of the six were, they, they call them confederates. That means that they were part of the experiment, and they were all instructed to unanimously select an obviously incorrect answer. Remember, the, the answers were given verbally. So, so you have the line there, and they said, which line is this closest to, A, B, or C? And <clears throat> the truth is, is that it's pretty clearly the same length as B. But they would start going through the, the people. Okay, which, which do you say it's closest to? A, the second person. A, the third person. A, the fourth person. A, all those were with the, with the doctor. You know, they were all told what to say. The fifth person was the only person being tested. What would they say? What would they say? See, it, when it was so clearly B, it was not like close. It was pretty obvious. You can look at the experiment yourself online. What would they say? And then here's this pressure as it comes to the fifth person. And 
perhaps one time they say, uh, B, and people would kind of look at him like, what? And the last person, A, they'd say, okay, here's the next one. And they bring out the next card. Okay, which one? C, 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 C. 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 Only 23% of all test subjects rejected all pressure and said the correct answer every time. 23%. This study has been replicated many times. The results are consistent. It's so easy for people to be fooled into believing a lie. Do you hear this? It's so easy. They ask people afterwards why. Sometimes they were just like, well, I just didn't want to make any waves. Sometimes they said, well, I thought that, gosh, I must not be seeing it right. Every else, everybody else said it was that. I, I just thought, I, I thought that I was... I thought I was right and that everybody else was right. I thought that was the right answer. They convinced themselves that that was the right answer when it so clearly was not. Do you see how this applies to today? Do you see this, how, how this applies to media that's reporting on everything going on over there in Israel? Propaganda, so much Propaganda. It's, it, it just, it's disturbing to me. Rebitson is, is like, Kevin, you gotta, you gotta not, not read all that stuff all the time. I said, I know, I know. It's like, otherwise I'm gonna be miserable. Whew, boy, it just steams me to see propaganda. Obviously misleading. See, but here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing, beloved, in the experiment. If only one of the other five people in the experiment told the truth, the subject almost always was able to resist the pressure and said the right answer. It only took one standing up for truth to make a difference. So all these people, only one of them said the truth, but that was enough. Then our subject is going to say the truth, even if it's against the rest of them. They had one other person with them. My gosh, this is a message to us. Sir, ma'am, we got to be that one. That even if others are spouting off lies and propaganda, things that aren't true, we got to be the ones to stand up for what's true. It will, it will embolden and encourage others as well. When it comes to the fiery darts of the adversary in your life, you have to stand firm. When it comes to temptation that's coming against you, stand firm. When it comes to what is doing truly right, stand firm, even if it costs you. 
See, friends, this is the goal of having the armor of God. This is the goal. As it says, after you have done everything to stand firm. That's what the text says. After you have done everything, once you get all this armor, stand firm. The obvious implication is that if you do not get ready and have the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, all the other armor, then you will not stand, but you will fall. The old saying goes, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And we see this spiritual principle that oftentimes will be tried to be made wobbly, (laughs) okay? So that we do not stand firm. Spiritual attacks are intended to make us wobble so that we don't stand firm. You've seen it. You've seen it in the movies, right? You got got the troops all lined up there, and here comes the enemy, and they're coming at you. And they're coming, and and the troops are on the front line, and they see this this horde coming at them, and and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're naturally a little bit nervous. They're like, oh boy, and you can see them. Sometimes the movies show them sweating there on the front line right? And, and what, does, what does the commander, the general in the, in the back right behind him say to the to him, steady, steady, stand firm. You know this. Why? Because there's a tendency to, to start to wobble and to start to begin secure and, and start to freak out a little bit. Steady, stand firm. Because that's the way you're going to be able to defend against the adversaries', adversaries its attacks. Esther chapter 3, please. Esther 3. Esther chapter 3. You know the story of, of Queen Esther. Mm-hmm. Esther chapter 3 verse 5 says this. When Haman... Thank you, thank you, thank you. You were ready for that. Great job. (laughs) When he saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him honor, he was filled with rage. But it was repugnant in his eyes to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had told him the identity of Mordecai's people. So Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Skipping down to verse 8, Haman then said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom whose laws differ from those of every other people and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's interest to tolerate them. Wow, that's mighty familiar. Anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism. We recognize this spirit of this evil man. We recognize this spirit because we see it alive and well today. So after the law to destroy the Jews had, was passed, Mordecai then communicated with Queen Esther. And he was talking to Esther, man. But I want you to... to, to 
hear the resolve and the discussion about this pivotal moment in time where Esther was being persecuted and all of her people for one reason, simply because they were Jews. And they were targeted for destruction and persecution. And Esther chapter four, please, verse 13. It says, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther with this answer. Do not think, Esther. Do not think in your soul that you will escape in the king's household more than all the Jews. Esther, of course, being Jewish, uh, secretly. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Who knows whether you have attained royal status for such a time as this. Wow. Mordecai just gave it to Esther, man. How did Esther respond? Verse 15. One of those powerful couple verses in all the Bible. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Shushan and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast in the same way. Afterwards, I will go to the king, even though it is not according to the law. So if I perish, I perish. What did Queen Esther have to do? She had to stand firm. Stand firm. That's what Esther had to do. For such a time as this. And beloved, if she did not stand firm, she and her family would perish or be irrelevant in the story. Friends, Anti-Semitism is not new. And I'm, I want to say something here to our, to our Jewish members who are part of Bethel, specifically to our Jewish members, I want to say something. Never be ashamed of who you are. Never be ashamed of who you are. And beyond this, You have to stand firm. And I'll say this, if you are Jewish and you are watching online or listening to a recording and you have assimilated and are not standing with your people, as lovingly as I can say this, for shame! For shame. When I was in Berlin, Germany, I saw a plaque on one of the main churches that had a long list. I'll never forget it in in this church. It had a long list on a plaque of Jewish members who thought that they were safe until they were headed off and herded off to the concentration camps. The God of creation decided in his divine wisdom to make you a Jew. Stand up and stand firm. Let's be honest about it. Do most houses of worship even care much about what is happening to our people? 
with a precious few exceptions. At best, at best, some are issuing a trite statement and perhaps a quick prayer in passing. I know this because the overall silence has been deafening. And God so frequently commanded our people to do things forever. Forever, let me give you a little uh, idea what the word means. It means forever. Sure, my friends, sure, it is easier to assimilate, but it is cowardly and is not what we're called to do, according to the scripture. Perhaps the last month has revealed more of the truth of this principle in this regard. Stand up for who you are. And that means living as a Jew, as God intended. Romans chapter 11. And to our non-Jewish members who are standing, point of emphasis intended, to our non-Jewish members who are standing with the Jewish people, thank you, thank you. Thank you if you are standing with the Jewish people. That is part of your calling also. Rabbi Shaul teaches Gentiles so clearly regarding the Jewish people. What does Rabbi Shaul, the apostle to the Gentiles, what does he teach Gentile believers? Okay, we, we, could, we could, what does he teach Gentile believers as it relates to Jewish people in Israel? Well, he says this in Romans eleven eleven. He says, I say then, they being the Jewish people, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their false step, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. This is part of the national calling of all Gentile believers. If you're following the commandments of the Brechadashah, the new covenant, if you are following what God is commanding, it is part of your national calling my Gentile brothers and sisters, is to provoke Israel to jealousy. You are called to stand strong with our people and with truth. And God tells Gentiles not to be ignorant of the plan, not to stick one's head in the sand. Yes, my friends, you have to stand firm and not be swayed by momentary popularity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as we prepare to close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So important. I'm so grateful. God knows I'm so grateful for our non-Jewish mishpachah who stand with us and link arms with us. And the, 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 these, these rare Oscar Schindlers, these Corey Ten Booms. My God, how beautiful is that? That is, that is a great thing. What a call. What a call. So in our lives, friends, even when the storms come, even when temptation hits, 
even when persecution arises. If we stand firm, we can rest assured that God is with us. If we stand firm. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, We are hard-pressed in every way, yet are not crushed. We are perplexed, yet not in despair. Persecuted, yet not forsaken. Struck down, yet not destroyed. Skipping to verse 16, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our trouble, light and momentary, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Wow, somebody say amen. Boy, I, I tell you what, I feel that, I need that. Mm. Boy, I tell you what, when you are going through it, I'm talking about in your personal life, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, hard-pressed in every way, yet not crushed, perplexed, yet not in despair, persecuted, yet not forsaken, struck down, yet not destroyed. See, this is what we have to be. Therefore, do not lose heart. Friends, sometimes we get weary. Sometimes we get weary. I'm sure you get weary sometimes. Sometimes we become discouraged. Sometimes we just want to give in to the pressure. But see, beloved, if we stand firm, not being crushed or in despair, not losing heart, then there is an eternal weight of glory that nothing can compare to. Nothing can compare to it. And remember, that this which we receive is not temporary, but it is eternal. Oh, it is eternal. So in the end, if we are resolute, then we will win. The title of my message is Stand Firm. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anybody here today who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah. You've never committed your life to God, never received Yeshua as your Messiah, believing he is the Messiah, but you'd like to today. All it takes is a simple prayer, being honest about it, and your life will be changed. Perhaps you feel something. If, if this is you and you've never committed your life to Yeshua, but you want to, raise your hand. We'll have a simple prayer. If that's you, just lift your hand and we'll pray together. Perhaps you're watching online, listening via podcast, and that's you. If that's you, repeat the simple prayer and God will change you. Say, dear God, I humble myself before you. 
I accept Yeshua into my heart as my Messiah, as my atonement. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me of my sins. God, I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you said that prayer for the first time, it's the best decision you've ever made. I'll say that. If you're Jewish, nothing could be more Jewish than believing in the Jewish Messiah. If you're not Jewish, see, that's the great thing, is that Yeshua came to Jew and Gentile, to the whole world, which only makes sense if you think about it. I want to encourage each and every person in this congregation, present rabbi included, <laughs> that we have to be resolute and stand firm. So even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of heartache, even in the midst of when I read propaganda stories on the news, even when I hear about mishpacha who are lost over in the land, I have to stand firm. Even when the adversary is attacking you and you're feeling down and depressed or, uh, or, or maybe there's the temptation that's coming at you in your personal life, and you just want to give in and your flesh wants to give, you got to stand firm. You got to stand firm. You got to not wobble. You got to not wobble. So many applications of this in our daily lives, whether it be how we treat people, how we talk to people, the language that we're using, that which we look at on the internet, whatever it is, don't wobble, don't wobble. Stand strong, stand firm. See, this is what we need to do. This is a biblical spiritual principle that has many applications. Abba Father, I humbly ask you to strengthen our congregation. Strengthen us so that we can stand firm. And, and to be encouraged, God, and to not lose heart, as it says in the Word. To not lose heart, knowing that you've got our back. And what we have is eternal. Eternal. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for this. We bless you for it and for this wonderful Shabbat you've given us. In Yeshua's name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah, or how you can become part of our Bethalel family, please visit our website at www.bethalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock 
or Shabbat services Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Light, light, light.